Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Good morning. Welcome Affordable to Medicine Health Call. insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused... <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Medicine on Call. Today I'd like to talk about our health care system and the fact that we have been... We're being played. We've been on this hunt of repeal and replace for, I don't know, eight, ten years now or something like that. And... As we argue this point and as we have our left-right paradigm rolling out in full force, they're just going right along, pushing through their agenda. And their agenda is bigger than you or I. It's bigger than health care for all and single payer. It's bigger than everything that we thought about. This is not about, and I've said it multiple times, I mean, I should make a book, you know, a mantra, a song. It's not about health care. It's about control. It's more about control. It's not, I'm sorry, it's not just about control. It's about information. We're living in an, a technocracy. The, and, we're, and we're on the ground floor of the building of this technocracy, where it's all about data. It's all about artificial intelligence. It's all about knowing you better than you know yourself. And we see in, in uh, you know, in Facebook and all these algorithms, Amazon, that they can put stuff on your web page and send you to your email, knowing what you're going to buy before you do, um, sending you, com you know, little commercials on the Internet about things that, you know, they think that you're going to want before you want it. And this data gathering from a healthcare system just integrates with all of that. You know, while they've been trying to hoodwink the public that healthcare is a right, that you, you deserve to get as much healthcare as you can possibly get, damn the cost, damn everything else because you're special, they've basically suckered you into giving up your information. Whether that's going into a doctor's office and filling out electronic medical record questionnaire, whether it's somebody, if you're a senior, coming to your house and filling out Medicare questionnaires to figure out your, your status, you know, if you live alone, um, have you ever tried to hurt yourself, how many guns you have in your home, all this meaningful use nonsense, whether it's these awesome, cool, trendy apps who make you feel hip because you can do your medical... Um, you know, keep your medical information at, on the palm of your hand and your phone on an app. It's all a joke. Even the apps for games, even I don't care what app it is. You guys need to start paying attention to the agreement because that agreement is a joke. They can gather your information. They can sell your information. It can be hacked, obviously. Just think about Equifax and the rest of these cloud-based attacks that are going on, your information is valuable. And I didn't know this, and I didn't realize this. I went away to D.C. this weekend to, to a conference, and what we were told is that the most valuable information there is, it's not your credit card information, it's not your financial information, it's your health information, because that doesn't change. You can lose a job, you can get another house, you can do a lot of things economically that Change that changed throughout the call, you know the course of your life, but your health doesn't. Once you're diagnosed with a condition, whether it's true or not, it follows you. Whatever medications you've ever been on, it follows you. I have an electronic medical record system in my office, and patients come in, and if they don't know what medications they're on, I can go to their medical medication history when I'm inputting or when. They've input their information, and magically it pops up all the all the medications they've ever been um, prescribed. So the patient doesn't have to know anymore, but I do. But are those medicines that were entered right? Did they really take them? Did they ever fill them? Did they ever finish the course? None of that comes up. 
The only thing that comes up is the medications that you technically have been prescribed. And this is not about individual information. It's about dumping data, metadata, that magical metadata. We don't know who you are, what you do, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's all encrypted and, and in, you know, it's safe. It's all population-based. It's total crap because they can actually unmask that and backtrack and figure out exactly who you are, what you did, track your phone, see where you are, following these cell towers. They know exactly where you are all the time. And if you pay attention when you're driving in a car and look up and see those cameras and microphones on the various, you know, light posts, they know they're looking at you 24-7. This is a grid, guys. And all you're doing is voluntarily giving up your information so they can use it, maybe, and I'm going to be nice against you. (laughs) Who stands to gain? Who stands to figure out, who stands to know you better than you know yourself? Is it to manipulate you? Is it to send you information through Facebook that pisses you off, that keeps you distracted, that keeps you on an emotional yo-yo? So from a medical perspective, your cortisol is sky high, your stress is bad, but it's worse. You know, you're you're in this, uh, it's like a pinball machine. And we can choose to stop playing the game. I, I'm all about technology. I love technology. But it's not a means to an end. And it doesn't control my life. And it shouldn't control you. Turn it off. If you have a question about it, why are you doing things that you have a question about? Or you're sitting down at dinner and everybody's texting each other instead of looking at each other across the table. We have absolutely no social skills now. None. I think maybe that's why people are so disgusted with each other, because they don't know how to talk to anybody, because it's all about how you look. Maybe not even so much how you say it, what you say. It's that you have a thought, that it's not part of groupthink. And then you have all these bots, these people who just trigger and try to shut you down. It's just total mind control, Dave. I'm not a robot. I don't believe AI is better than I am. We're flawed as humans, but we're special. And robots can't be what we are. But they can pull a plug. They can shoot a gun. They can arrest people. They can have sex with you now. That's what robots do. I'm not interested in that kind of society. And if we're not careful, we're going to give up our humanity. And we're almost almost giving it up at this point. Those people who are tweeting in about the people who got shot in Texas recently, you know, how they deserved it, how they were probably Trump voters. What kind of people are these? How can they actually be allowed to run free on the, I mean, if we want to be, since the, you know, the thought police are always out there trying to cut people off, these people never seem to have anybody who shuts them down. Twitter doesn't shut them down. You know, Facebook doesn't shut them down. It's only the people who actually are for freedom, for freedom of thought, for freedom of speech, independence, liberty. Those are the people who team seem to get shot down, not the totalitarian, you know, Antifa crowd who want to control you by basically terrorizing you, whether that's physically, whether that's emotionally, whether that's economically. Why are we letting these people just run amok? Well, someone needs, and I'm be the first one to say it, stand up and say, I don't care what you think. You don't matter to me. Get out of my face. I'm not listening to you. And that goes for the political hacks who try to foment this. Total hypocrisy. I'm just sick of listening to it. It's politics as usual. The agenda is to centralize government, take your individual control, tell you that you should like having less, that you should like like having less freedom of movement, freedom of thought, freedom of religion, freedom of expression. That, that's what they want. And we're giving it to them based on political correctness. I mean, we're going a, a little bit afoot here, but it's all tied together. Do you really want to live in a society that that is moving this way? I certainly don't. And it's pretty obvious it's all coming, becoming clear because there's, there's been some pushback and they can't stand to have somebody tell them no. I've never seen it. It's like a bunch of children. It's terrible. I mean, even children are a little bit more uh, agreeable 
and can be taught and actually can think outside the box more than the people who are running this sideshow at this moment. I don't know, Dave, what do you think? I think that um, we all better wake up. And, you know, there used to be a thing, wake up and smell the roses. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, you may not be... I'm old enough to remember when that was a... Oh, I remember that. But, you know, I think we need to do that again. And I think that, uh, you know, when you were talking about the the apps and so forth, I've got probably the fewest apps on a telephone than anybody, because I wouldn't, you know, they say, I want to install this app, and a, a good example is a navigation app. Right. And it says, you know, we're entitled to your third kid, we're entitled to your third wife, we're entitled to tell the world that, you know, whatever. Right. I wouldn't do it. And I just, and anytime I'd go to an app, I've got my bank app that had no restriction. I mean, they didn't try to gather information yeah and uh about three other apps that uh, didn't want to gather and other than that i won't if i go to one and it asks all these questions and wants to do this and you give us permission to be in your house no i won't uh, you know i won't do it oh, i don't blame you and i i think people are you know it's the same thing that we say over and over again you've got to educate yourself I ain't taking care of, you know, you're supposed to be your brother's keeper, but I'm having a hard enough time keeping myself, much less my brother, you know. And But you you got to take on the responsibility. I think, I think you do. And I think I'm all about altruism as well, you know, giving to people who need it. But I want to do it. I don't want the government to tell me what I need to do. You don't want a mandate? Absolutely not. Because yeah. mandates mean control. Well, you know... We used to be a very charitable society. We still are on an individual level, but the power of that charity has been diminished because you have the government coming in and just bigfooting everything. I mean, the things that I learned this weekend just blew my mind on all levels. The, the practice of medicine is systematically being destroyed because we are one of the only professions who has been educated to be individuals, to think of our patients as individuals, to be a, an advocate for our patients, which means nobody gets to step in between us. Nobody gets to make us work against the interest of our patients. Nobody makes us use money as the arbiter of care. And they've been demonizing us for 10 years plus at this point, about doctors doing procedures for money, cutting feet off, taking tonsils out could care less about our patients. And unfortunately, we've, over the course of the 10 years, have integrated ourselves as a, speci- as a, as a profession into corporate structure, into government control. And that's where we lost or are losing our autonomy. We actually need to take it back because if we don't, we will be gone as a profession. We will be superimposed on by AI, medical extenders, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, etc., and we're going to be sitting on the outside looking in, signing a chart, writing a prescription where all the liability is on us, but the patient care has been outsourced. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. And let's break this down so you actually can understand where my mind is going. The healthcare system is corrupt based on crony, crony capitalism, greed, disdain for patients, hatred of doctors, a monetization, monetization, I can't pronounce the word now, monetization of the patient and the physician has been going on for the last 10, 15 years. First, they did it to you guys. 
people actually did a test, and that was the HMO system back in the early 90s, where they made the, the family practice doctors become gatekeepers. All patients had to go through them. They got to divvy up the patient care. Well, first of all, they got money as a pot of money. It's called capitation, where you get a contract with an insurance company, with the government. They give you a certain amount of money per year in order to take care of your patients. That money is, every time you do something for the patient, that money is spent. So the more tests you order, the more admissions you give, the more you care for your patient, the less less profit you'll make at the end of the year, which was a completely peculiar incentive to not take care of your patient, to keep them on the outside, not admit them, admit them for a short period of time, basically d- deny care while well, they made you look like you were doing something. <laughs> That was the beginning. That was the test case. Patients hated it, and it went away. About 1994, capitation HMOs basically died on the vine. What happens in 2008? We get Obamacare, written by the same crew who started off this HMO plan. But now you have the weight of the government behind it. And if you guys knew, like I found out this weekend, how much money floats up there on Capitol Hill, you would just be appalled to put it mildly, and then you'd get angry, and then you would feel, this has got to stop. But let's backtrack again. So you got all this money floating up there, the top 10 lobbyists are healthcare related, and they are pumping money like you wouldn't believe. So as Dr. Singleton, Singleton said, follow the money. Why don't you go and check out how much your representative is worth, how much they started off with, and how much they're worth. We're talking 200 million, you got People out in California start off with minus, who now have, you know, multi-million dollar homes. Where the hell do you think they get that money from? They're making, what, 80000 100000 a year on their, on their capital salary, crying poor about being in Obamacare, trying to get a waiver for their expenses up to $3,000 per year. That's a joke. While they're making money under the table from lobbyists, from dinners from junkets on this, golf trips on that, and they're bitching about a doctor getting a pen from a drug company, that's the worst thing in the world. Stark Law, you can't own your own surgery center because they're afraid that we're going to bankrupt the system and screw the system. They're screwing the system over, and they're totally in bed with the same people who don't want competition, who have managed to literally demonize doctors who have all, I mean, you know, there's outliers, there's people who suck, I'm not going to tell you they're not, but for the most part, doctors have always been on the side of their patient. And you answer me this, is it better to see a doctor who owns their own surgery center, who knows how to keep the costs low, so the patient is a low out of pocket, and is a tenth on average of what you pay in a hospital, or is it better to go to a corporate hospital where they're about gouging everything they can possibly gouge, $20 aspirin, $50 garbage cans, facility fees for things they already own, or they charge you ungodly amounts of money that they don't even tell you before you do it. Is that better, or is it better to know the price up front? You answer me this as a patient. Which one do you like? You know, which one do you want? And it's on you guys, because you just take it. (laughs) And it's part of the problem that we're in now. Patients have, you guys are are the drivers of healthcare. Doctors got online and got on board with the, with the fear that if I don't get on insurance plan, patients won't see me. Patients want to do a $10 copay, and they complain about that. Patients don't want to, you know, pay anything out of pocket, so i got to make it as easy for them as possible. You know, it is what it is now, but honestly, if we'd all stood our ground and said we don't want a middleman, I'm not going to accept getting less for the convenience of supposedly someone else paying for it instead of the patient, we wouldn't be in this situation. Everybody wanted an easy ride. Everybody wanted it free, doctors and patients, and now we're both screwed unless we withdraw our consent. But I digress. So you had the HMO system. That came online. That died. Obamacare came back like a boomerang with on steroids with accountable care organizations, which are basically HMOs on steroids. So now they're not just giving hospital, I'm not giving a pot to the doctor in the office, they're giving it to the hospital. What does the hospital care about? Making their corporate board happy, making their, uh, you know, board of directors happy, making their CEO happy so they can make millions of dollars. 
you win, I win, you lose, I win. This is a total casino with an unlimited budget from government money, which is our money. And they have the unmitigated goal, like the NFL, to be nonprofit. Unmitigated goal, while they don't pay taxes, they don't contribute anything to the, to the community. And studies have shown they don't even give charity care anymore. You know, Mayo Clinic, all these big places, you're not getting any freebies. If you don't, if you don't have an insurance, and basically a private insurance, good luck to you, because they don't even want to take Medicaid anymore, because it's not enough money for them. But while they're claiming you know, nonprofit status, that's contingent on them giving charity care. And they, on a, on a whole, across the country, charity care has dropped to a dribble while they whine about, we have to take care of people without insurance, so you have to pay us more. It's ungodly what they've been getting away with. And they've managed to get in the ear of all of these legislators and gotten the certificate of need legislation passed where they're claiming that they can't have competition because it'll put them out of business. Yeah, I bet it would if someone opened a surgery center and did a a gallbladder for $5,000 versus your hundred thousand dollar gallbladder yeah it might make you have to toe the line and stop gouging people poor you you get how many streams of money and it's never enough for these people you know that's what we're faced with the states that uh, have the con like we have in Georgia Mm -hmm. uh, certificate of need the hospitals have the manpower and the money to lobby against them and say, oh my God, we can't, you know, we don't need that facility here. Yeah. We cover it all. Yeah, right. Texas has it, uh, Georgia has it, I'm not sure of all the rest of the states. But the CON is a CON, at least the acronym is correct. Um, it, it's, and, and like you, you and I have talked about in the past, so you and I go in together and we open an imaging center down the street. We can do it for a tenth of the cost, we can do a, we can do a CAT scan for three hundred dollars, and the hospital charges three three thousand. Yeah. So, what happens? The hospital comes in and buys us out, or threatens us, or sues us. Yeah. That's the nice part if they buy you out. But since I've heard from doctors in rural areas that they're literally threatened, you know, with lawyers, with people coming in. <laughs> And um, literally trying to, to say, if you don't get out of business, we're going to put you out. And from all of that duress that doctors have been under, there's no question that it's been one of the reasons <laughs> that, that they've had issues with just giving in. And we're human. You know, what we've managed to do is seed the playing field to those entities who are going to cost the patients more who are going to deny care, who actually don't have enough people on staff. You know, I've been in the hospitals where they don't have coverage in the ER. They don't have a surgeon. They don't have an ENT, but they're still open. Why do you have an ER? You don't have everybody available to give the care that you're supposed to give because it's a money-making venture. You can collect all the money you want. If you don't have to serve the patient, then you just get to keep that money. This is just a... A peculiar and and <laughs> it's a deadly system and now the new scam is getting rid of physicians before we were the front line of care now we're not and I know you talked to me about last time I was here or after the show about the nursing profession and the Association of Nurses really gathering steam to expand their scope of practice to practice autonomously and they're being helped and being encouraged by the hospitals to do so and the reason is because it's cheaper it's cheaper to have physician assistants and nurse practitioners on the front line than to pay a physician to do the care but what people don't understand is not it's not the same training it's not and they're practicing in a level that is above their scope of practice. It's not the top of their scope of practice. It's beyond the scope of practice. We don't train the same way. We don't learn the same things. We don't have the same time in education. And for them to say it's the same does a disservice, I believe, to the nursing staff, to doctors, and especially and most importantly, to patients. 
And it's also costing the system a tremendous amount of money because what you don't know ends up costing you a referral and causing the cost of healthcare to go up. The hospital wins because you can call an ENT referral and a GYN referral and a neuro referral. You can just go up you know, to the cows come home and the hospital gets to bill for all of that. But do you really need it? Do I really need to be called to take earwax out because you don't have an otoscope? That's what I got consulted for in some of these hospitals. It's obscene, wasting my time to go and see a patient because you're too lazy or stupid to not look in an ear. How do you not have an otoscope on a, on a hospital floor? What do you do? I mean, well, how's a hospital even set that up? It should be at every bedside that you have an otoscope and an ophthalmoscope and the, and the personnel who knows how to use them. How hard is that? So on that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out of pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. So we were talking about the how the hospitals have literally encouraged and and made money from the changing of the guard, from the changing of the face of medicine and the delivery of healthcare from the doctor-centered and nurse-centered. I mean, honestly, they were registered nurses who, along with the doctors, ran patient care. I trained under that type of system. It was awesome. I learned a great deal from the nurses on the floor, and they were awesome. And it was collegial, and it wasn't my turf, your turf. What they've managed to do is make us fight against each other. And the Affordable Care Act is part of the problem. This, they keep talking about doctor shortage. But in actuality, when you peek behind the curtain, this doctor shortage is due to legislation. And part of that legislation, or part of the problem, has been exacerbated by the Affordable Care Act. They have money in the budget. Let's go back. When you train as a physician in our country, the government gives money for training spots for all specialties, um, for residencies. That money has been transferred from physician training to nurse training and medical assistance training, because the Affordable Care Act is built on the model of get the cheapest labor you can get to be the front line. We're seeing that happen in real time. So you're absolutely going to have a medical, uh, a physician shortage when there's not enough residency spots. So you can graduate from medical school, and there's something called a match, and you have to pick a, a program, and they have to pick you, and the highest choices, like the, if you pick them as number one, they pick you as number one, you go to that program. But that, predis- that presupposes that there's enough spots in the nation to take all of the medical students that are graduating. They've cut those programs. So you can finish your medical school and re- go into the match and not get a spot because there isn't one. Because there's not enough money to pay for them. Or there's a foreign student that's come in and taken that spot, which means you just wasted four years of medical school and you'll never be a physician. That's obscene. And they're using that money to train nurses because they, they know that they're going to be cheaper labor. But now it's boomeranging because nurses now want to be paid on par with physicians. 
they're getting doctors of nursing, they're becoming administrators, they're becoming autonomous in various states, and of course, inexorably, they're going to want, they think of themselves as equal to physicians, and therefore, they should be paid the same way. So that's the movement on their end now that's happening. And are you going to save any money by having a nurse if you're paying them the same as a doctor? But are you going to get the same standard of care? That's the question. So a nurse on a neuro floor who had two years of training, and I understand after speaking to a nurse who became a physician, you don't have to have clinical training to become a nurse. It could all be online. And it can be from 18 months to two years to become a nurse. And another, I think, a year, maybe 18 months tops, to become a doctor of nursing, all without having to touch a patient. No clinical. I had to, we spent, oh, let's put it this way. We spend, and they calculate this, about 32,000 hours in residency with patient care and training, and they spend 500. Which one would you rather be treated by, folks? 32,000 versus 500. This doesn't sound like part of me. And the liability is completely different. So if there's an error on their side, who's liable? They're not paying the same malpractice you know, insurance as I am as a physician. But if something goes wrong, the doctor who's overseeing the whole thing is going to be the one that gets sued. How many doctors do you think are going to stick around and be holding the bag? Not many. So now you're having a changing of the guard where if it's left to its own devices, you won't have physicians to take care of you. And somebody said in our meeting that the goal really is to get rid of primary care physicians because they're becoming the front line. Can't be a surgeon, so they're not going to do surgery. But they're going to be family care, pediatrician, maybe even psychiatrist, psychologist, I don't know. But it's the front line of the, the primary side of healthcare, the entrance into the delivery system. That's key. That's where you catch diseases before they get out of control. That's where you figure out what the problem is and get them to the right specialist before it's too late. It's how we keep ourselves as healthy as possible. What happens when the doctors are gone? We're not coming back. You're not going to train the same type of physician if there's nobody ahead of us to teach us. I learned from doctors who'd been in practice, God, for decades. And you're sitting there in that OR, you're sitting around that table with them, and you're going over the, the history of a patient, and they're asking you quite, I mean, they're bombarding you with questions. And it's, it's an interesting experience to go through, but it taught me to be who I am as a physician to be my patient's advocate, to never say, I know what the, I don't know what the answer is. I'm going to find out what it is. And there's a sense of humility that you have, that you don't know everything. And this is the thing that struck me the most about this conversation that I had, was that physicians are trained with the mindset of, we're humble, we don't know everything. Because we can always get dinged, so we're going to watch our P's and Q's and be very, very conservative. And on the flip side, the nurses learn that we know everything. We're great. We're better than doctors. It's a different mindset, but it's that kernel of doubt that I think makes physicians, a good physician, a good physician, because you're always looking for what if. If I do this, what's the bad outcome? What's the consequence? What's the differential? You know, someone's going to be coming in with a, a physical ailment. I need to know enough to know everything that it could be. Not if it's a headache, give them Tylenol. If it's a strep throat, give them penicillin. It's very linear. But that's how the system is being built. You can go to Watson, plug in the diagnosis, and it'll give it back to you. You can definitely have a whole cadre of healthcare providers. And I say that with a capital P. You're providing healthcare. You're not thinking. You're not patient advocate. You are just a drug delivery mechanism. And you're keeping this system propped up. And it's all about control and making money. It's not about getting you better. I'm just curious, Dr. George. Uh, there used to be a, my kids had a uh, doctor's game, and, and the patient had a wishbone and, the, and all these different things. <laughs> Operation? <you're>, yeah. <laughs> I could never but, get the wishbone out. Uh, anyway, um, I assume that. You know, being able to watch it on television or on a monitor is the same as having your own cadaver and working through. <laughs> Isn't that what we're going through? We're going through a lot. Even some of the medical students 
do virtual anatomy. You know, they're not even dissecting cadavers. They, even the medical education has been screwed up in the system. You know, there's, we had a, you had a textbook, man. We had about five different highlights in it because you read it so many times. Each time you read it, it was a different color. These guys are all on iPads. It's all virtual. There's no hands-on. I mean, like, I, another conversation I had, just so people can get a feel for this, is that the hospitals have integrated the, the middle levels, physician assistant, nurse practitioners, to such a degree that the medical students, when they are on a rotation, and neurosurgery, I was given this, this particular example, they round with the physician in the morning for neuro, and in the afternoon, the nurse practitioners do the rounding, and the medical students are doing charting with coding. They're literally now enlisting them as coders for the hospital, so the hospital can make money. And doctors, especially surgeons, are coming out where they're not getting training. I did a thousand cases before I graduated. They're not doing that anymore. They're not getting hands-on. It's being outsourced to the mid-levels while they're doing SCUT and they're doing you know, administrative stuff with coding. Are you kidding? That's what I didn't learn how to code until I became a, uh, an attending out of school. This is what they spend their time on. This is not appropriate. You shouldn't come out as a surgeon and not be able to run, do your own case without help. Would ask, without asking your colleague to come in because you don't feel comfortable. Or people in ENT, when we did sinus surgery, we learned on cadaver heads. We did the entire procedure. By the time I graduated, we had done, I don't even count how many sinus cases. These guys need a, we call it um, stereotactic guided. So you have a, a computer, you have a probe, you touch the probe and you can see it light up on the CT scan to, to confirm where you are. Are you serious? What happens when that goes down? Can you do sinus surgery without the help of a computer? This is what we're talking about. Robotic this and that. This is not a future that I as a patient, God forbid I ever become one, would ever want to be part of. And again, it comes back down to patient education. It does, and you, patients don't know, Dave. You've got to be able to, or you've got to ask um, you know, where'd you go to school and how many uh, of these procedures have you done? You can even go further. When you make an appointment to a physician's office, ask them, am I going to see the physician or am I going to see a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant? And tell me now, because <laughs> you, you have the right to see your doctor, in my opinion. I mean, unless you just want, you have a little cold or whatever, but if you're going into a neuro consult and you're not seeing the physician or a cardiology consult or an ENT consult and you're seeing the most junior person in the in the office or the person with the least training, and it is uh, 10 years of training to be an ENT versus two years to be an, a physician assistant, 1,000 cases versus 17 years of experience versus Ask yourself these questions, folks. Do you want to spend your money for that? Or do you want to find an independent doctor's office? And they may have physician assistants. They may have um, anybody. But who's giving you the care? That's the key. And ultimately, you have to make the decision of whether you're worthy or not. I won't, if I had a physician assistant, I certainly wouldn't charge them the same amount of money to see my physician assistant as I would to see me. But they're saying that we're all equal now, that they're all should be charged the same amount of money. And are you getting the same care? Or are you just getting a prescription filled and you're out the door? That's the question that you have to ask yourself. I mean, you have to decide ultimately, you know, am I valuable? I decided long ago, I don't want to have this in my office. I want to be I don't want a middleman. I want to have no layers between me and my patient. And I'm looking to treat patients and see patients who value me and value themselves. It's a completely different experience where it's a team, where it's not this conveyor belt mentality where someone's typing on a computer screen. That's not advanced. I think that's what people need to understand. Just because you have all the bells and whistles doesn't mean you're getting better care. If it fits your personality and you love it, then by all means you should have it. But if that's not what you're looking for, 
And if that's not the direction of medicine that you want to go in, then you need to make a conscious choice to stop playing that game. Stop feeding the system. It only grew because doctors were afraid patients wouldn't want to pay for quality care. And that's how this thing mushroomed. And now the government's involved. It's become, they've put their finger even more so on the scale towards this style of medicine. And if we look at across the, you know, across the, the sea at the UK, that's our future. They now have a law in place there that if you're obese or if you smoke, you will no longer be able to get um, any uh, surgery, any elective surgery, indefinitely. What do you talk? I mean, so if they're going by BMI, let's just give this for an example. If you're a football player or you're hefty, you know, you're a muscular guy or lady, and your BMI looks like you're obese, but it's actually, you know, you're muscular, they're not only looking at the number. You're not obese. I had somebody, an anesthesiologist, not allow me to do a, a case because of the, the guy's BMI, but he was a weightlifter. And they didn't take any of that into consideration. This is what you get. Unless you are young and healthy, this system doesn't work for you. They are getting paid in the UK, and so are we at this point, to withdraw care. You get money to talk about end-of-life decisions. You get money to remove people from the hospital before their DRG time is up by hospice, by, you know... <laughs> Euthanasia, let's face it, you know, the E word. This is what's going on. Once you're down that slope, who decides what your, what your worth is? I think it's in Amsterdam. They actually are paying or actually performing euthanasia on people with, med with mental illness, with depression. So they're deciding that you're not worthy. This is what we're looking at, folks. And we don't want to go here. On that note, let's take, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. I know I threw a lot at you guys in that last segment, but I just wanted you to, to get to understand where we're moving. This is very fast. I mean, it's all about changing behavior, but not giving you the option of making a conscious choice, saying that it's, this is just as good, that the healthcare is better, when in actuality our, our costs have gone up, but our mortality has gone up as well. The people are living shorter lifespans now for the first time in years. That's not healthcare. If it's so awesome, we should be living longer. There shouldn't be a health disparity between being poor and being uh, someone of means. It's a big difference. And it's actually worse as they try to expand Medicaid, which is the lowest common denominator of our healthcare system. We're going to see more people end up being diagnosed later not being able to get medications that they need, not being able to get into specialty hospitals for cancer, for example, not be able to see a physician because there's few and far between at this point, especially primary care. This is a, a substandard style of medicine that they're trying to pawn off as awesome. It's not awesome. And it's more expensive. And it serves less people while they get on TV and tell you how you hate people, and you're racist. You love people if you're against this system because it's killing people. That's the reality. You know, the public ought to stand up. You go into a doctor's office and you're, you're seen by a nurse practitioner or a PA and they prescribe, which they really, most of them can't prescribe, can they? Oh, they, well, they, yeah, they can. And now they're they, talking about being able to, to give some opioids. Yes, yeah. that's okay, what well, autonomy okay, practice, so you yeah. Get your, you get your, you've gone, you've gone to your PA or whatever, you've gone to your doctor's office, you're seen by the PA, he or she gives you a script and you go to the front desk and you are expected to pay. Do you get to say, wait a second, I, what rate am I paying? Am I paying for the PA or am I paying for the doctor? I think there should be a differential if you're going to do it. Oh, yeah. But there's not. There's not. And what happens is they bill like a physician and the hospital gets to collect it. I mean, the hospitals are owned, they're owning 70% of the practices now. So even, and 
we, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, they're smart enough, Wall Street is smart enough to keep the facade the same, so the name of the practice is the same, but it's not owned. So either the hospital owns it or a corporate entity owns it. Have we found our friend again? It's over there. <laughs> or the corporate entity owns it, but it's not the physician. And in that process, the, um, what do you call? <laughs> the charge master changes, so it costs more money for the patient to be seen. And when that happens, you're paying more. And they're trying, again, we're, the patients are being monetized. The doctor and the patient are being monetized while we're both being used as means to make money. That's the sick part. And don't even talk about the big pharma and their PBMs and that whole scam that they're pulling off with medication that should be pennies costing hundreds of dollars. And, you know, the next the next thing they're going to try to screw us with, it's pre-certs and all these hoops you jump through. But in reality, it's all middleman driven. It's everybody making a piece of that pie before it gets down to that doctor and patient office. Eight cents on the dollar is now paid to the physician in patient care. Eight cents. Where the hell does the other 92 cents go? It goes to everybody else doing nothing but gouging us. We need to take our power back. That's really what it comes down to. I'm no longer interested in trying to correct a system that's completely corrupt. Repeal, replace, whatever. It sucks. And even if they did repeal it, it's so bad now. All these things are now in place that, so what? I didn't know this either, that when you put your information on a healthcare EMR cloud, that HHS and other entities can actually just go. You don't have to, they don't have to request that you give it to them. They can come in through the back door and take the information themselves. Where's HIPAA and all this? There's no HIPAA. HIPAA is not about privacy. HIPAA is about consent to have your information shared. But it can only be shared with the people who sign up for the, you know, the, the group that gets to see it. There's like 400 entities that can see or allowed to see at least that can see your healthcare data. Once the government is in that pot and the IRS and HHS and all these other entities that can actually punitively ding you because you shouldn't be getting a subsidy or because, hey, you're doing a, uh, I mean, I'm sure they're probably using it for this. It wouldn't surprise me. You go for a, a position and you're doing a background check. I'm sure that's a health check as well. See if you're on any X kind of medication. If you lied on your intake sheet about having something, then let's look at your medication history and figure out, hey, you've been on a blood pressure medicine. Well, maybe it's for, a, you're doing a speech and you're nervous, so they give you Inderol. And they'll say, oh, the person's got high blood pressure, they lied to us. Who knows what goes on, Dave? Because this information is not attached to reality, it's just data. And they get to interpret it. And you don't have any way to, there's no due process. So things happen to folks, I'm sure. They have no idea why, you know, but it's happening. Is it right? You, this is Fourth Amendment stuff. You know, illegal search and seizure. Knowing your history, your medical history is supposed to be sacrosanct. The Hippocratic Oath tells us to protect our patient data, to not talk about it, to not take advantage of our patients financially or any other manner. This is outside of that. This is this superimposes itself itself on the Hippocratic Oath. Faster than you can give out your social security number if you were to apply for life insurance or anything else. Mm -hmm. Faster than you can give it out, the person on the end of the line will come back and say, Well you take blood pressure medicine <laughs> or you take so and so. You know so we're going to have to rate you on this. You've been taking this blood pressure medicine for 12 years, 15 years. They never come back to the other side of the coin and say, well, you're really, your doctor says you're in great shape. Your arteries are clear. You're, you know. Because they're looking to charge you more. You have to find a problem so you can up the ante, right? And what's having a negative effect on patient care because patients who are savvy lie. So they don't put in stuff. They make up stuff. They don't want their information to really be out. Those that know aren't telling you the truth. 
and that doesn't help us help the patient. So it's having a chilling effect throughout the healthcare delivery system. And it's all awesome marketing. We need to stop being played. Just because it's got bells and whistles and it's shiny doesn't mean it's good. And sometimes going back to the old standard is the way that you actually get help. And the cool part about it is that it's cheaper and it's better. Where else can you get that these days, right? I really recommend that people do a survey of your healthcare. Step, take a step back and critically ask yourself, are you happy with the healthcare that you're being delivered? If, do you like your physician? I chose not to go to somebody because I didn't like the style of medicine. I'm sure the person was really technically awesome, but he turned me off. Yeah, I just felt like a number. That's my power. You know, and once you do that and people figure out money talks in this society, they only understand money. If you don't give it to them or you withdraw your consent, magically things change because they want your money. And it's, it's, a, it's a delivery system. It's a, um, how can I put it? I forget what you call it, but, you know, we're providing a service. So we have to do customer service. We have to be good. And we have to have, uh, you know, we have to do customer service. We have to good, be good business people. And if we're not all of the above, and there's plenty of us out there that know what we're doing, find us. AAPSonline.org, Association of Independent Doctors, AID.org. I think it's .com or .org. Um, go to my website, DrElanaGeorge.com. You know, start doing your own due diligence. I don't have any sympathy at this point for people who get caught up in the system and get screwed over. It's on you. Anybody listening to this show, I would hope, has shared it with anybody who has a medical problem. I'm certainly accessible through the radio show, through the radio, the station, email. There's no reason to suffer at this point and go through the, the hoops that they want you to jump through. So you're poor and dead. Do you really want, do you really need to go there? Come on, people. I refuse to do that. You'll love this. I have a deal in mental problem that uh, I go in to a doctor's office and even if I'm put in an exam room within 20 or 30 minutes, if I haven't seen, if I've been there 45 minutes or more, I leave. My time is valuable too. I'm not saying that a doctor's time isn't probably more valuable, but you know, it's just out of courtesy. Well, I would say, just to be on the doctor's side for a second, sometimes it's the patients that cause the lateness. If the first patient is late, and it generally is the case, it sets your entire day off. Just walking in 15 minutes late, you haven't done the paperwork, you're already about 45 minutes out. Yeah. So I would say to the patients out there, get there early, fill, up your, fill out your paperwork before you get there, and it would be a much faster um, experience. On that note, thank you for listening, and I'd like to wish everybody happy uh, Thanksgiving because we're going to be on, uh, I mean, I guess, archive next week. And take care of yourselves and be good to each other. Thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. 